Hey there, I'm Emlyn Miles Mattingly, your host for the Minority Money Podcast. I'm glad you're here. You know why? Because this is the place you can come to get your weekly finance, family, and fitness motivation, not only to experience success in those areas for yourself, but also to help others in our community achieve greatness too. Super happy that you're on the show with me. So let's jump right in. Welcome back to the Minority Money Podcast. I am your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly, where we are changing the complexion of wealth. And today we are going to have a celebration. We're starting our celebration for Pride Month this month. Couldn't be more excited to be celebrating this. We have some incredible guests lined up for you for this month, and they're going to have some great stories to share with you, their journeys, and just great people. I'm excited to hear all of them, and I'm excited for the community to hear them. Before we get started, some housekeeping items. Just wanted to throw this out here again. I've been saying this and asking for people to do this. So this is my call to action for the minority money community. So what I'd like you all to do when you get a chance is if you have an episode that you like, I've been seeing people and hearing them. So if you've heard an episode recently, or if it's an old episode that you like, and you have that episode, please, please send that episode to someone, text that episode to someone, email that episode to someone, send it, you know, airdrop it to someone you don't know. I don't care. Just get the message out about what we're doing over here at Minority Money. I think that some of the people that we've had on and, and what we're doing, we've been picking up a lot of momentum. We've been getting a lot of new listeners. And so if you're a first time listener, want to thank you for coming to the show. If you're a long time listener, thank you for your support. This is the only reason that we're still doing this. And with that being said, share those episodes. And now we're going to get into our episode. So today I've watched her for a long time. We've been Twitter friends for a while now. So we've been Twitter friends for a couple of years. And I just love interactions with her and just love watching her grow, seeing what she's doing. And so today we are joined by Callie Ingebrigtsen. Hello. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Happy Pride Month. Yes. Happy Pride Month. So I don't even know how we met. I think you posted something and I commented on it or vice versa. And next thing you know, we're in DMs talking, right? Like it was, <laughs> it was great. So I'm excited to have you on. As we're getting into the show, I just wanted to have you give a brief introduction to who you are for the people that don't know you. Sure. So I'm a financial coach. I've been working in financial services since 2009. And I feel like I had a different entry point than a lot of people because I was actually a Spanish major in college. And then after college, I lived in Spain, Mexico, and Colombia. And when I moved back from Columbia, which was the last place that I lived, I moved back to Minneapolis, where I'm originally from, and I landed a job at a nonprofit there that offers VITA, which stands for Volunteer Income Tax Assistance. For those who don't know, it's a program that the IRS runs. They give grants to organizations across the U.S. to help people file their taxes for free, since there's tax credits for low and moderate income taxpayers that can make a big difference in their income. So that was my entry point. I just started out being someone who helped make appointments and they needed someone who spoke Spanish. And then because I spoke Spanish, they pulled me in to help interpret. And so I started learning all about taxes. And then from there, I just fell in love with personal finance and we launched Minnesota's first volunteer-based financial coaching program. And then at some point, my supervisor was like, hey, you know, you should consider becoming a, either a financial planner or a financial coach or something. So I got two financial coaching certificates. I took all of the CFP coursework. So I'm a CFP candidate. And then I launched my own practice about four years ago. So it was really because I loved Spanish that brought me to personal finance. I always knew that I wanted to do something with people, but I didn't know exactly what that would bring me to. And so 
yeah, that's how I got my start into the financial world. <laughs> love it. I love it. Now, there's something that you're passionate about that you love to do. That I think you love biking, right? Don't you love biking? Yes, I'm also a bicyclist. So there's a challenge that you've probably seen me participate in Twitter, which is every April, there's a commitment that's called 30 Days of Biking. So it's not a competitive thing. It's just simply to have fun. And so it started in the Twin Cities, but it's people everywhere can just register at 30daysofbiking.com and you make a pledge to get on your bike every day of April. It doesn't matter if you do a hundred miles that day or if you go around the block. It doesn't matter if you miss a day, just get back on your bike the next day. It's just a community of joyful riders trying to just move our bodies and have a good time. So half the fun is doing the rides and the other half of the fun is following the hashtag to see people you know, oh, someone in Australia did a ride. Someone in Mexico City did a ride. Someone in London did a ride. It just motivates me to get out there. So yeah, that's something that brings me a lot of joy. Love it. Love it. You know, I always want to get a bike. And then I'm like, but that's going to be hard. Like, <laughs> like I think about the wind. I think about all that. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to get out there. But it is on the list to do because the kids are starting to ride now. And oh, so fun. I'm going to have to go and ride with them and do like that. So Today, what I wanted to talk, what we were talking about is going from being broke to a badass. Yes. That's going to be the main theme of our show today. And I always start when we start with the title, I always say like, just talk to us about that. Tell us about that broke to badass. (laughs) Yeah, that's one of my mantras in my financial coaching practice, Chillax Finance. And that's my biggest goal is to help people go from having a broke mindset to a badass mindset and to stop feeling so anxious and stressed out or even just head in the sand about their money and actually feeling super confident. I think at the end of the day, what I'm helping people with is confidence and badassery. And I'm just using personal finance as the tool to get there. So a lot of people, and I'm sure a lot of people listening to this can understand and relate through their work with their clients. But a lot of people that I work with, they have a lot of heavy emotions around money. So they either feel just confusion or maybe shame of past money mistakes that they've made or just stress or things like that. And so I really want people to shift from that place to a place where they realize that money is a tool that they can use to impact the other areas of their life in a positive way. So a lot of people feel held back by their finance due to a lack of education or understanding or true barriers and disparities that exist in the United States. And so that's what I'm trying to do is help people feel badass. And my goal is that all of my clients become the friend in their social circle that all of their friends go to for money advice. Of course, I would love to work with even more people, but my goal is that the people that I do work with, you know, become that person that it has a ripple effect in their communities. So that's what I mean by badass is to be able to use their money in a positive way and to have a positive mindset and relationship with money. When you're talking mindset, there's so many things to think about. Like I'm thinking about so many things because, you know, you talk to the clients and they're like beating themselves up and that the mindset is so, uh, it's just tough. So what are some of the mindsets that you've had to, you know, help people overcome like things that they were, you know, what are some of the things that you've had to help people with as you see them transition from broke to badass? Like some of the things, you know, some of the money scripts or whatnot that they may have had. Yeah. The first one that comes to mind as I hear you say that is just this recurring thing that people say, I'm bad at money. Mm -hmm. I'm bad at money. And people say that so often. And I'll say, I just want to ask you, like, were you taught about money growing up? No. Mm -hmm. Did your parents ever sit you down and talk to you about money? No. Even if you had the opportunity to go to college, did you have a personal finance course? No. Through your work, did you have any access to an employee benefit where you got to meet with a financial advisor and actually talk about your money in detail? No. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, I would say that you're not bad at money. I would say that the system is bad at teaching us money. So 
let's just normalize that you have these questions, take the responsibility off your shoulders. And now we can move forward, you know, with it, we can try to build a new script. So I'm trying to teach people that there should be more implementation of financial education courses, or there should be more access to different opportunities. So that's one of the main mindsets that I come across is that people take on this full responsibility for something that maybe there should have been different entry points, either through their parents or their family or their school, you know? Yeah. And you find it like all the time, like people will just beat themselves up for not knowing something and they really do it with money. Like no one beats themselves up. I've used this analogy before, like something breaks on your car, check engine light goes up. No one's upset that they don't know what that check engine light is. <laughs> True. No, one, no one's upset about that. It's just like, and then most of the time we just leave it on anyways. We just ignore it, right? So <laughs> Very true. <laughs> but, but when we come to our money, and one thing that I'll say, I heard someone say this, money has just recently been introduced to us. It's not that old in when it comes to humans. And so the concept of having money and the emotion that comes around having that money is not something that our brain is really equipped to handle because money came way after us. We are here doing everything. We didn't need money. We just had, you know, the things that we focused on back then, community, stuff like that. It wasn't about the money. And so then we mm -hmm. drop in this money and then we drop in this pressure and then we say, okay, money's going to control, you know, a lot of things that you're going to do in your life, but we're not going to teach you how to use it. Go ahead, have fun. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> totally. So, so that's kind of where I see it at. But I mean, I think the financial services industry has a lot to do with that, right? I think we have to do, it's always for so long, it's always been, you know, you hear it like, man, that person is so smart. Wow, that individual is so smart. They know everything about money. You don't understand what they're saying, but they just sound smart. So like <laughs> even they're smart, the information that they're giving you doesn't resonate because they're not able to communicate. And so- I think that's largely in part because of what the industry is mostly made up of. And mm -hmm. it's not made up of representation of our country, right? We know that the industry looks nothing like our country looks. Absolutely. And so maybe that's why the message is being lost. Mm -hmm. And it's really easy to keep something that is technical and difficult and communicate it in a technical and difficult way. It actually takes more skill, I would argue, to take something complex and break it down in a way that someone without that understanding can still get it, you know? 1000% agree. I believe that the true measure of intelligence or communication is being able to communicate across all levels. Like if, if I can explain it to a four-year-old and I can explain it to a 40-year-old, then I'm four and 40. If you can get both of those to understand what you're saying, you've done something, you've done something well. Absolutely. Um, so let's talk about this. Let's talk about the financial services industry and how this is, I'm just reading what you're saying here. The financial services industry is pale Mel and stale. I've heard that before. I've heard this before, but talk yeah. to us about that. Please talk to us about it. Yeah. So I have that on my website. It's something I discussed with my clients and it's not just me being cheeky. It's mm -hmm. what the data shows. So mm -hmm. pale, male and stale. So pale, the data shows that only 4% of advisors are people of color in the United States, which is wildly underrepresentative of the complexion of this country. Pale, male. 14% of all financial advisors are women. And from what I've been able to see, I've never been able to find data on trans or non-binary advisors. So if anybody, especially since this is Pride Month, if anybody has that data, I would love to see that. So that's also not representative of all the genders that are out there. And then stale because the median age for a financial advisor is 55. And from what I've heard, also clients are typically five years away from retirement when they first reach out to a financial professional. 
So yeah, that's why I say pale mail and stale. But in addition to the people giving the advice, that's also, I believe, reflective of how wealth is held in the United States. We live in a classist, racist, sexist, xenophobic, transphobic, queerphobic country. And so it's not just the people giving the advice, but it's the people that also have access to that information typically because advisors are often working with clients who look like them or have the same opportunities as them. So the wealth and the access to this information is held within the same type of group. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> I don't even have nothing there. I mean, yeah, I'm picking up what you're putting down and I 100% agree. I think that when you have people in a position of power, they tend to keep themselves in power and not necessarily change that. And so when you think about the lack of advice from people that look <laughs> like us, mm -hmm. act like us, talk like us, or speaking that we have to change that. We have to change that. And so I can only imagine, like we went through some stuff in the BLX program, which the uh, shout out to the BLX program. If you are an intern, this is just a quick little commercial there. If you're an intern, we've already closed for this year, but for next summer, if you're looking for an internship and, you know, you are from an underrepresented background, this means you're, uh, you know, a woman, person of color, LGBTQ+, come on in to the BLX program so we can help you out there. But the internship program has shed so much light on us and being able to talk to these interns and from the diverse backgrounds and hear their stories. And I think that's the thing that that's not happening in financial services. The underrepresented advisors, underrepresented people in the industry have no voice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're so outnumbered. Yeah, and often not taken seriously. Yeah. And so this is why I think it's important for us to do things like we're doing today and to just love people. It's so crazy. Like if you just love people, things just go different. Things are just easier when you love people because you can understand them <laughs> when you love them. That's just how I feel about that. It just, I'm, I'm kind of, in my feels about that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, it's true. I think Audrey Lord said the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. Mm -hmm. So we need to stop reinforcing the power structures in the United States and shake things up. So spaces like this and all the initiatives that I know that your guests have been a part of, we're all trying to create a more equitable system and a more equitable country from different angles, you know, so we need to support each other and lift each other up together we are better that used to be my so i say that all the time and that used to be my like my junior high school's motto it says it on the and people always looking like man that's that where'd you get that i was like it's junior high i remember it from there so together we're better and it so resonates with me because together we are better you know and my acronym for team together everyone achieves more like i think that's where we are so with that how do you how does someone go from broke to badass tell us about that how does someone do that <laughs> well, are you actually asking about my practice? Like how yeah, I yeah, yeah, yeah. how okay. do you take them there? How do you take someone from broke to badass? We got to know. <laughs> sure. So as I mentioned, I operate as a financial coach. And so coaching is different than financial planning. It's a different approach or a different industry, I would say, obviously still under the financial services umbrella, but just a bit of a different angle. So typically financial coaches focus on what I call the financial foundations. So we focus on things like helping people with cash flow making a real budget, understanding their credit, paying off their debt strategically, boosting up their emergency savings, things like that. So we're not really doing investment advising. We're not giving retirement advice. We're not helping with social security withdrawals, things like that, but helping people with those core skills so that hopefully they would make an ideal candidate or an ideal client for a financial planner. So the things that I focus on are things like that. So the process that I take my clients through is 
in the first session, I really get to know their money mindset, talk to them about what they learned about money growing up, understand what their financial goals are, what stresses them out with their money, what are things that they're excited to do with their money, what are things that they've done in the past that they might have shame about, just understanding where they're coming from. And so I like to start with that side of things because I tell my clients, there's the external side about money. We do need to look at the numbers. We do need to understand certain strategies, but we also need to address the internal side of money. And I only care about numbers because I care about the people that those numbers are associated with. So that's why I always start with getting to know my clients and where they're coming from. And then from there in future sessions, I take them through the process of understanding the 50, 30, 20 budget philosophy, which if people aren't familiar, 50, 30, and 20 are percents that add up to 100. And nobody's budget is going to be exactly 50, 30, 20, but following a 50, 30, 20 budget just makes it really easy for my clients to understand the main categories in a budget. So 50% of your income can go towards basic expenses. 20% of your income then goes towards savings and or debt payments if you have debt. And then once you have debt, you reroute that money that you're putting towards debt towards savings. Although I always encourage my clients to have at least some going towards savings. And then 30% is flexible. So Nobody's budget, like I said, is going to be precisely that. But a lot of people are stressed out that when they come to me as a coach, they don't even have any understanding of how to manage their cash flow. So I found that that's really a streamlined and simple way for people to understand hey, is this a basic need? Is this something I want for fun? Is this a debt payment or is this for savings? So having those categories really helps them break it down. So I take my clients through understanding that philosophy. Then we open up different accounts for each of those purposes because so many of my clients, and I'd be interested in hearing if your clients do the same, but a lot of my clients come to me and they just have one checking account. That's it. Maybe one savings account. But I had a client recently use the word amorphous. And she's like, I feel like my money is just so amorphous because it's all one blob of money in this one checking account. Mm -hmm. So I have my clients open up different accounts for different things. You have your fun money account, you have your bills account, you have your emergency savings account, your travel savings account, and you can add different ones from there. But I always try to have my clients have at least four accounts at a minimum one checking account for their bills, one for fun. Those are separate. Mm -hmm. And then at least two savings accounts, one for their emergency savings, one for typically fun savings, but that's usually like travel or another goal that clients are saving up for a down payment or whatever they're wanting to do. And having that marked in their online banking with their different categories is so big. And then from there, once we have run the numbers with the 50, 30, 20, we've opened the different accounts. Then the biggie for me to help implement everything is that we log into their payroll or their HR system. And we actually automate how much is going towards each of those categories automatically. So that each payday, instead of just getting paid into one amorphous blob of a checking account, and then from there making decisions like, oh, I know my rent is coming up and I just paid my student loans, but I should be saving for a rainy day, but also this and this and this. No. We've already run the numbers and we're telling it where to go automatically. So every other Friday, instead of starting to make decisions, your decisions and your commitments have already been implemented because a lot of people don't know that most employers allow people to split their paychecks into multiple accounts. And that is so huge. As a financial coach, I would find very little value in just helping someone understand, oh, here's a spreadsheet. I guess if we divvied it out, this would be what your 50, your 30 and your 20 would be. Have a good day. I think that that's what a lot of people think a budget is. And to me, that's nothing. You know what I mean? That's like has marginal value. If we're not taking those numbers and actually implementing it and automating it and helping you stick to your goals, then what was the point? You know, so I find a lot of value in helping people 
do that. And so that's what I mean by badass is telling your money where to go, sticking with your goals, being flexible when you need to, because you can always go into your payroll and update your direct deposits if needed. But having that happen automatically helps my clients make a lot of progress and they feel a lot more confident just after a few months, like their savings go up, their debt payments are there and they are, they're clear on how much they can spend on fun money. They're not just eating ramen. Like a lot of people think, oh my God, if I have a budget, that means I have no fun. (laughs) So yeah, that's the broad brushstrokes of what I'm doing with my clients. It sounds like you're bringing so much clarity to their finances. It sounds like people can come in and really one of the things we say at Edgen Next is we bring clarity, harmony, and focus to people's finance. That's exactly what you're doing. You're going in and assessing the situation and then giving them actionable tips that have nothing to do with, you know, like investing or doing anything like that. It's just, this is like, let's just get these financial fundamentals down so that you mm-hmm. have a good base to be able to build your finance. And I think that I love how you do it. I love like the, even the going on to doing with their payroll and making sure that they do separate deposits, because, you know, a lot of times if you don't, they never do that. <laughs> you just tell them to do it. Exactly. And so your recommendations are, yeah, I really like how you take that down and that the journey there. And I could see how that could make the clients feel so much more empowered because now they understand what's going on and now they can make an informed decision about how much money they want to pay to debt, how much money they want to save, how much fun money they have and not feel guilty for having fun money, not feel bad for spending it. That is how someone goes from broke to being badass. There you go. I like it. I I like it. I like that a lot. Yes. Yes. And having fun money is a big deal for me. Like I really want my clients to understand I'm only helping you get organized because I want all the predictable stuff. Your debt payments, we know that they're expecting payments. So let's get that set aside and get it out of your regular checking account. Your savings, we want you to be protected for the future. So let's get that money out in a special account. Your bills, you're going to have to pay those on a monthly basis as well. So let's get those out. Now, the money that's left over, you can actually spend freely because you've taken care of these other categories. And I've talked with my clients a lot about how my dad was diagnosed with Alzheimer's a few years ago. And it's been absolutely heartbreaking to see him go through that process. However, something that I've learned through that is that we cannot restrict our whole lives and bank on this idea of a golden age in our retirement. There's no guarantee that our life is going to look any which way. And I don't say that to scare people. It's just the reality. You know what I mean? And so that's why I tell my clients, no corner of your budget is more important than the other. We need to pay for your basic bills because we want to have a good quality of life now. We need to have savings so that you are protected and you can achieve the goals that you want for the future. But your fun money is equally important. We need to allow ourselves to spend joyfully along the way because we can't just bank on the idea that, oh, it's going to be amazing in the future, retirement, retirement, retirement. And I feel like in the financial services industry, and maybe it's just because that's a third of all the people that I follow on Twitter, or I just follow like a zillion podcasts about money. And I just am thinking about retirement a lot. And that's huge. And that's important. That's amazing. And there are savings crises that we need to address as an industry for our communities. But we can't just only focus on that. We need to enjoy our life because once I heard the phrase, the way you live your days or how you live your days is how you live your life. And so we need to protect ourselves for the future, but also enjoy the now. So that's why I like that philosophy of enjoying our fun money while also balancing it with the savings for the future. Yes. Because I think that And I totally agree with you there when we're talking about, you know, it doesn't retirement's always talked about spoken about as like this far off mystical place that we hope we arrive at. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. it's really like it's a mystical place (laughs) because no one knows what they're going to do when they get there. 
Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, but I want to get there and I want to have this and I want, and it's like, well, okay. So I was talking to some clients the other day and you know, they were sharing with me, their parents passed away and their parents passed away, you know, in retirement, they had a few years in retirement, but not nearly enough for them, obviously, but they had a few years in retirement. So when we're talking Ugh. to them, you know, and I'm talking to this client, it's like, we got to prepare for the future, but we want to live now. And I tell people this all the time, like you have to be able to do, like, I use the words conscious spending a lot. And it's like, just consciously spend on what you like. And if you don't like something, don't spend the money on it, but you can't like everything, right? So just (laughs) figure out what you like and then spend the money on that. And then what you don't, you know, want to spend money on, don't spend money on those things. And I say all the time, like, what good does it do to have all this money in the bank and have all this sadness in your heart, right? Think Mm. about it. You have all these money in your bank and you're full of anxiety because you don't know what's going to happen. You don't have an understanding of your finances. You haven't been converted from broke to badass, right? And broke, and we're talking about this. You said it in the beginning, it's a mindset. I've seen people with a ton of money that still have a broke mindset, that scarcity mindset. And so they can't live. One of the, uh, shout out to Michael Pollock. His podcast is called It's Goals and it's Go Out and Live. That's what goal stands for. Oh, I love that. That's what you're supposed to do. Like you have financial goals so you can go out and live. And, And it's kind of tough to see people not live life because they're trying to do something with their money and it's not really bringing them any value to their life by just having this money sitting there. It's actually bringing more discomfort and more pain because they don't have an understanding of what they could be doing with that. I'll say one more thing, one more thing. I don't have to cut you off, but are you familiar with George Kinder? Yes. I was just listening to your episode with him this morning. I'm not kidding. (laughs) Yes. When he asked the question, if you have 24 hours to live, right? And he says this and I'm sitting here and I'm like, oh man, you have 24 hours to live. But then the follow-up question is, who did you not get to become? What did you not do? You know what I mean? And it's like, oh, wow. That's a different twist on the question. When he says that, what did you not do? Who did you not become? Who would you have spent more time with? What would Mm -hmm. you have done? And then you start looking at this. And really what I think is it's not so much about the money. It's more about the time Mm -hmm. because you don't get that back. I heard a guy today say this. He said, you know, they're at the bank. They can print money. So you know what they're not printing? They're not printing any more time. (laughs) So true. I was like, it just blew my mind. So I had to get, I had to say that it was just something that was just on on my heart, but I really felt like time is the real thing that we're trying to get people. And Mm -hmm. if we get a hold of our money, we have more time. Mm -hmm. They're related. Yeah, they are related. So I love this here. The next question, if you're not bragging, you're telling the truth. <laughs> yes. You're not bragging if you're telling the truth. <laughs> Talk to me about that because I feel it. It resonates with me. I'm like, you're right. 1,000%, 5,000% agree with that. So talk to us about that a little bit. <laughs> so that is my mom's famous phrase from when I was growing up. She would just always say, you're not bragging if you're telling the truth. So if you're good at something or it went really well for you in a project you're working on, or you had an accomplishment, you're not bragging, like share your achievements with people. And she would just always say that her other phrase was stupid. People don't like you and you don't want to be with stupid people anyway. I was like, okay, that's aggressive, but (laughs) (laughs) those were her two quotes. She would tell me that after like a breakup or if I didn't get a job Mm -hmm. that I wanted that I interviewed for or something, but yeah, you're not bragging if you're telling the truth. It's just like a lot of people will 
make themselves small, you know, and I think especially those of us who are from marginalized identities or marginalized groups who are taught to be small, to not disrupt the status quo and to not disrupt the power structures that are out there. And as the queer woman, I don't think I'm doing anybody any favors if I just keep making myself small. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that quote has really always stuck with me and people seem to like it. So I tell them that when people are like, oh, I don't mean to brag or, oh, this thing happened, but it's not really that big of a deal. I'm like, no, it is a big deal. Mm -hmm. Tell me as your friend or as someone in your life, I want to celebrate you. Tell me. So yeah, I love that quote. (laughs) And I think people have to do it more. I'm horrible about this. Never celebrating anything. I always... Shaquana, uh, she works with us at Gen X Wealth and she's always like, you need to say something about it. Like what you're doing is this and that. And I'm like, you're right, you're right. And then get her and Madi together. And next thing you know, I'm, I'm in trouble for not saying something that <laughs> like something great that we did. <laughs> yeah. But I felt that when you said, when you come from a marginalized group, it's so funny. Like we've always been taught to blend in, but we weren't made to blend in. We were made to stand out. Mm-hmm. And, oh, and so, so we've continued our life trying to blend in when the only thing we should be doing is trying to stand out. So we can identify with the other people that are like us. They can't see us because we're not standing out. So we need to try to make sure that we stand out. You know, you're not bragging if you're telling the truth. You know, <laughs> So tell the truth about yourself a little while, a little bit here and there, you know? And so I love that. One thing we didn't talk much about, which I'm always fascinated by this, and we talked about this before we got on, but by people that have, that speak multiple languages. So you being bilingual has always been like, I love it. And so you lived in Spain, lived in Mexico, lived in Colombia, and being bilingual. Talk to us about all of that. I mean, because I'm <laughs> ready to hear it. I want to know. <laughs> well, I would say that I'm a pretty big extrovert. I love people and I love talking with people. And I don't know if this was your experience in school, but for me, back in high school and middle school, even, they always tried to have me be quiet in most subjects, you know, like to focus on the teacher and pick up what they're saying and everything. And it was so funny because I would chat with everybody. So they would move me to the front row because they thought, oh, if she's right by the teacher, she's not going to talk. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm right by the teacher. Great. Call on me. I'm right here. And then they moved me to the back row and they'd be like, oh, well, she'll forget about it. And then I start talking with the kids back there several times. Emily, they moved me next to the quietest kid in the classroom. I'd get them to talk. <laughs> and so I just had been in school for so long and I don't feel like I wasn't talking to disrupt the class. I was just so excited to be around other kids. And then finally I landed in Spanish class and a lot of people were anxious because they didn't know how to say things correctly or didn't know the right words yet or anything. And I was like, wait a minute, if I learn these other words, I can talk to twice as many people. Yes, please. (laughs) So that's what I think landed me, you know, as a Spanish major and what prompted me to, to be passionate about it. So I was a Spanish and actually a Spanish and Latin American studies double major. So I took a lot of classes about the history and culture and politics of Latin America. And then I just wanted to live abroad. So I did a semester abroad in Spain for my Spanish major. And then after college, I lived for a year and a half in Mexico, teaching English and interning at a human rights organization. And then I got a scholarship while I was in Colombia from the Rotary Clubs of Minnesota to go to Colombia. So then I was in Colombia for a year where I also took classes and then I connected with the Rotary Clubs there. And then I also interned at Shakira's foundation, Shakira, my BFF, as I like to think of her. She has a foundation that opens schools for kids who have been internally displaced because of the violence in Colombia. So I helped them with various projects there. 
And then after that year in Columbia is when I moved back to Minnesota. And then I landed that job at the VITA program that I mentioned earlier, the volunteer income tax assistance program with the IRS in the Twin Cities. So yeah, at this point, I feel bicultural. And now I live in San Diego. I live 15 minutes from the US-Mexico border. I can see Tijuana literally from my front porch of my apartment because I'm on the second floor and I can see just a few miles south. And so, yeah, it's just a part of me. I just love being able to speak Spanish and it's opened me up to meeting lots of new people and makes the world feel both bigger and smaller at the same time, which is good. I always love, especially when people don't expect you to speak Spanish. Yeah. That's the fun part, right? So (laughs) when people don't expect you to speak Spanish and then I've learned some, oh God, there's another, there's a few words. So when I was working at the bank, we'd have people come in all the time and they'd always speak different languages. So my thing was, I love language. Yes. And so- Oh, fun fact. I was stepped into the military. I was going to go into the Marines. And this is a long time, long, 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 long time ago, 20 years ago. Oh my, I can't believe I said 20 years, over 20 years ago. Anyhow, <laughs> when I was going to go, I was actually wanting to be a linguist. Oh, cool. And yes. now this is super cool. So now my daughter wants to go to school to be a linguist and she wants to go study abroad. She wants to do, wow. so it's kind of crazy that you know, that, that, that she didn't even know that 20 years ago that I was trying to, that's what my job was going to be, or that's what I wanted to try to do. Didn't end up doing it, but to have her also want to do it. And then hearing your story, I'm like, I'm excited for her. Cause I mean, she could be, you know, living wherever she wants and learning new language, learning new culture. So she's really fascinated by Japan. So that's where she wants to learn Japanese. She's been learning Korean. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, she's just going in on it and I love it. And I think that I think when you take time to learn the language of another culture, I just think it means so much to the people. And I think that, you know, like as you're probably going out and being able to experience, I mean, you could speak to it better than I can because you actually can speak another language. And I'm just, you know, <laughs> say a couple of words, but I'm always like just interested in how people learn other languages and use that knowledge to communicate. So when you're talking about being in class, that sounded like you like had been following me around in class. So teachers would move me to the front, move to the back. <laughs> The teacher said, I've moved him into the side of the room. He'll talk to himself. Like, I can't, like, he, <laughs> like we don't know what to do with him. He's like, you're over there in the corner, Emlyn, do your work. You're talking to yourself. I was like, well, you know, no one else is over here to talk to. <laughs> wow. So I wasn't the only one. No, 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 not at all. So the quiet kids, oh, they just stopped putting me around kids, period. Because everybody was talking if I was there. No one paying attention to the teacher. But we still got totally. good grades somehow. Somehow I still got I good grades. Somehow I still got good grades. So they couldn't be too mad at me. Good job. My parents, when they would go to conferences, all the teachers would try to find different ways to tell them how chatty I was. And my dad is so reserved. He got very anxious about it. So he didn't really like that. But my mom, I will always be grateful for her that she said, you know, this is going to serve Callie well. Being able to talk to different people from different walks of life, no matter what she ends up doing is a skill that will help her. So I don't want to change her personality. We just want her to focus on school (laughs) while also still have those social skills. So I'm really grateful that they kind of protected me and allowed me to be chatty. And then when I finally found Spanish, it was like an outlet for that. So yeah, now I know I'm not alone. (laughs) No, you're not. No, no, no. And then it looks like that's happening to my daughter and myself. We got two of the four kids we have. Two of them are pretty, pretty chatty. (laughs) So like, I'm ready to hear those. Like, but uh, you know what, as you know, this is the Minority Money Podcast, where we are changing the complexion of wealth. And I love to get to these questions just because I just love hearing the answers to these. So what motivates you or inspires you to grow, learn, and lead? 
several things. One of the big things is learning about disparities in the United States and reading data about, for example, that 61% of millennials I read have only $500 saved for emergencies. Mm. That motivates me. If I could snap my fingers and change something, that would be (laughs) on the top of the list. Also knowing that women make typically 60 to 80% less than, or sorry, 60 to 80% of what men make with most women of color making less than men. That motivates me. I want to help address that disparity. There's also lots of disparities within the queer community, like bisexual people typically make less than gay and lesbian people. Trans people could be legally fired up until June of 2020 when the Supreme Court case at the federal level finally ensured that people couldn't be fired for their gender presentation, their gender identity. So there's just like a lot of disparities like that, that impact people's financial life, that those are just numbers, but working with people, you know, and seeing how those things can affect them motivates me because even with there being lots of systemic barriers or challenges in the United States, there's still possibility. And so that's why I'm really passionate about doing the work that I can do. I feel like there needs to be work and systematic change from the top down. So there needs to be a lot of things coming out of Washington and different states where there's new rules and new laws that affect people and their access to certain things. But even with the system as is, there's better ways that we can navigate, you know? And so that's what I feel like my job is as a financial coach is to help people navigate the system as best as possible. So I'm really motivated by statistics that are very jarring because they're a call to action for me to try to take what I know and to help as many people as possible. And I can't do it alone, which is why I'm so excited that there's a network of people now who are wanting to shake things up and not just go with the status quo. So yeah, I would say that that's a big part of what motivates me. And also just seeing the progress that my clients make when they tell me even after just a few sessions, wow, money isn't as complicated as I thought it would have to be. Or wow, what you told me last session really stuck with me. Or, you know, you mentioned this one thing and now I started looking it up, you know, and I feel more comfortable. Just like seeing those little aha moments for my clients are also really big motivators as well. Absolutely. The passion that you have for what you're accomplishing, what you're working on is awesome. How has your family supported you on this journey? So that's actually a really tough question because I had a good relationship with my parents until I came out Mm -hmm. and then I was cut off as many people in the queer community have experienced. So I had gotten into personal finance before we became estranged. And so my dad actually worked for the Minnesota Department of Budget and Finance. And so he was in his own way, a money nerd. He helped run payroll for state employees. So not necessarily giving advice, but in finance in a way. And so when I finally landed on finance and fell in love with it, he was excited that I had kind of found that. But unfortunately, we have been estranged for quite a long time. And now that my dad has Alzheimer's, it's kind of prompted me to re-look at my life and my values. And so since I can't really reconnect with him in a way that I had hoped for a long time because he just can't have conversations. He's 72, but he had early onset starting from when he was in his 60s. So it's just allowed me to reconnect with him in a new way and try to forgive him for as much as possible. And now I just want to make the most of the time that we have left. So yeah, it's kind of hard to talk about, but I Mm -hmm. want to talk about it or at least share that much here because it's been very isolating for me because there's a lot of talk about, oh, Mother's Day, Father's Day, families are forever. And that's not the case for a lot of us. And I know that that's unfortunately a lot of people, especially in the queer community's experience. And so that has been my case there's kind of like a before and after. So supportive and then not anymore. 
I appreciate you sharing that and don't know how I, I couldn't even imagine how difficult that could be. So thank you for sharing that. And the reason why I say thank you is because when we talked before we got on the show, I said, there's some things that you're going to say that other people need to hear. There's other mm. people that are going through that. There's other people that have had that. And as they go through that, just like you found out right now that you weren't the only one in class that was talking all the time. Right. And it put a smile True. on your face. Someone's going to listen to this and understand that, you know, I'm not going through this alone. And Callie's handling this the way she's handling it. And I need to, you know, maybe I need to relook at what I'm doing. So you will encourage and inspire someone else. So thank you for sharing, even though it was very difficult. I do appreciate that. Oh, um, thank you. If you could offer a piece or pieces, <laughs> it doesn't have to just be one. If you could offer some parting gifts or advice for our listeners, what would that be? Wow, that's a good question. I would invite people to focus on what brings them joy in their life. I tell my clients that money is not the most important thing in life, but it is tied to the most important things in our life. And so that's why money is important. Money impacts our opportunities. It impacts our relationships with ourselves and our closest people. It impacts our health and things like that. And so that's why taking care of our money can have a ripple effect. And so I would say focus on the things that bring you joy and get your money to be aligned with those things. That would be what I would want everybody listening to strive towards. Love it. Love it. If people want to get more Cali, <laughs> what social medias are you active? I know what social media are, but what social medias do people follow <laughs> you on? Where can they hear more of what you're saying? You can find me online at chillaxfinance.com. You can find me on Instagram at chillaxfinance, on Twitter at chillaxfinance. And you can also look me up if you are bilingual and also love Shakira, you can look up my Shakira podcast, Shackypedia. <laughs> Those would be the places where you can find me, Twitter, Instagram, and my website. <laughs> we'll make sure we put a link to all of that in the show notes. And thank you for stopping by to the Minority Money Show community and, and sharing your story. I think what you're doing is incredible. I think uh, the way you're working with your clients is super impactful in sharing your story, even the tough parts of it. I'm inspired. So I thank you. Thank you for coming by. Thank you so much. And I'm so inspired by what you're doing too. Once I heard the phrase, none of us want to be the first and only of anything. If we are forced to be the first of something, we should leave the door open behind us. And I really respect that that's what you're doing so that more people can follow in this industry and our communities to create even more change. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. As you all know, this is Minority Money Podcast, where we are changing the complexion of wealth. I'm your host, Ellen Miles Mattingly. Until next time. Another great showdown, but it doesn't have to stop there. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast app you're listening on now and give it a good rating, would you? If you feel really connected to the podcast, which I hope you do, find our Facebook community, Minority Money VIP, to support and be supported by others just like you. And again, we're glad to have you. While this podcast is meant to inspire and motivate you to live your best life, it can't be your complete one-stop shop. I know, I know, that really sucks. But I don't know anything about your specific situation. So please reach out to an attorney or a CPA, or you can reach out to me, a financial planner, to help you with your specific situation. To get a hold of us, please reach us at fan at Minority Money Podcast. That's F-A-N at Minority Money Podcast, so we can get to know you there. Thanks for being here and until next time.